Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So this past week I was able to be part of a, basically it was like a life group for pastors. You know, we have a big, a lot of life groups here at St. John's and uh, we're honoring our hosts at 11 o'clock and uh, uh, we, have, we, we believe in it here at St. John's. We believe in gathering together small groups of believers. And so I was able to participate in a, in a life group for pastors this past week. And uh, we had a life group leader, you might say, and he led us through something called uh, Lectio Divina. Anybody heard of Lectio Divina before? Okay. All right. A few of you out there. Um, it basically, it's a Latin phrase, and it means divine reading. And it's a uh, traditional Benedictine practice. It goes all the way back to the 6th century. And it's, a, a, it's a, a practice of reading scripture and meditation and prayer. And I've always heard about it, but never had a chance to actually participate in this method of letting the word of God come into your life. And I'm just going to tell you, it was awesome. Read, meditate, pray, contemplate. And it focuses on the Bible as the living word of God, the living communication of God himself into our lives, not just a a text or a bunch of words to be dissected or studied or historically analyzed merely from an intellectual perspective. It's for us to let the living word wash over us. And so we read Romans chapter 8, and we were asked questions by our life group leader. And he asked, what is one phrase that the Holy Spirit is impressing on you as you read? We spent some time reflecting on that. We read it again. And he said, what do you feel when you read those words? What situation in your life does this word speak to and relate to? And then we read it again. He says, what is God inviting you to from his word? We wrote, and we meditated, we talked, we prayed. It truly was what is called a Lectio Divina, a divine reading, not a human reading. And we came humbly before God's word, and we were led that way by our leader. We asked questions, and we were asked important questions. And those important questions in that time, in that space, it brought change, it brought peace, it brought an experience of the Holy Spirit in a powerful and, as we say, glorious way. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings power. He brings change. He brings an experience of God, the Word. And today, that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And many of you might be wondering, what is Pentecost? What does that mean? Maybe you've never even heard of the Word. Well, I hope that Pentecost, we will actually have a divine electio divina, a divine reading of it, and the Spirit will reveal things to us this morning. So let's review where we've been for the past two months. Uh, We started out with Holy Week, right? We had Good Friday. Uh, We had uh, the resurrection. We had ascension last week that we talked about. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit coming to our lives. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before Jesus ascends, he says these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. 2,000 years ago, and he undid the scattering of languages that happened back in Genesis Tower of Babel, Pentecost. Now, what is Pentecost? So you go back in the Old Testament, you go back to the Jewish believers, back before Jesus, there were three big festivals that the Jewish people celebrated. One of them was Passover, 
which we talked about during Holy Week. The other was Pentecost, and the other was Tabernacles. Pentecost is only a Greek word. It's a Greek word that means 50th, okay? So it's 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost is originally. And so Jews from everywhere would come to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate the completion of the harvest. They would bring their first fruits to God. And so everyone's coming in. Everyone's gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus ascended. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the very first Christian Pentecost. 2 verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's probably about 120 followers if you look earlier in chapter 1. And then in verse 2 it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wind. Spirit. Life. It reminds us of that very first morning of all mornings when the Spirit of God swept over the darkness of creation. And this violent wind is attracting and drawing people in. Verse 3 continues on. It says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Tongues of fire were drawn to the burning bush. We realize it's a divine presence. It's settling upon each of them. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. He will use everyone. What's going on here? We can't necessarily explain it more than what the text says. Something awesome is happening. And then in verse 4, it says, Todos fueron llenos del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas. Wait a minute, what was that? What language was that? Spanish. I don't even speak Spanish. I don't even know what happened right there. Verse 4, oh wait, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's what happened at Pentecost. You're like, that dude doesn't speak Spanish, that guy doesn't speak French, that guy doesn't speak Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. Everyone was there at Pentecost. They're speaking languages that they had never learned. It was amazing. It was awesome. It was powerful. And everyone's wondering what's going on. Verse 5, you continue on. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You see, at this time, there were many Jewish people. They were in colonies scattered throughout the world. But they would come back for the festivals. They would come back. Many of them would come back to live out their last days because they wanted to die in Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, when they heard this sound, a crowd. So that crowd would be filled with those residents of Jerusalem, visitors to Jerusalem, those who were living their last days out in Jerusalem, they're from everywhere. The crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. We could spend a long time on this, how important it is for us to hear the good news of God, the works of God in our culture, in our own language. We don't even realize this because sometimes we think that Jesus spoke English, but I have news for you. English wasn't even invented back in those days, okay? He didn't. He spoke Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, maybe Latin. English came later. And it's something to think about how powerful we know and we experience God through the English language. It's a powerful, awesome thing of the Holy Spirit that's going on at Pentecost. Verse 7 8, it says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? 
They're amazed. They're astonished because a miracle without precedent has occurred right in front of their eyes. And so they begin to ask questions about what is going on, what is happening. Verse 9, it says, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, our own languages. Fifteen places are mentioned, cities, provinces, islands, north, south, east, and west. Everyone's hearing the works of God in their own language. About 20 years ago, I went down to Venezuela. I spent three weeks down there. My friend was a missionary down there. And, uh, you know, he was from Nebraska. He didn't, you know, you're in Southern California. You learn Spanish, right? I mean, he hadn't learned any Spanish ever, you know. So he went down there. Uh, he's trying to learn Spanish. We went down to visit him, and it was like he said, you know, two months into it, he said, my brain is going to explode, you know. He wanted, he said, I could just come home at night, and I open the Bible in English, and I read it, and it speaks to my heart, speaks to my soul. It's the language I know. That's the Holy Spirit's about, bringing the word of God, the presence of God into our culture, into our language, into our heart, the way we know it. Verse 12, it says, they were amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, because they were good Lutherans, they said, what does this mean? What does this mean, right? Could you imagine it? I mean, if really that happened today, if we were confronted by what happened at Pentecost, if 120 of us all of a sudden started speaking languages that we don't know in this room this morning, we all would be like, what is going on? And probably many of us, we'd start to explain it away, right? We'd use our rational minds. We'd use reason. We would use science. We'd use intellect to explain away what is happening. Maybe some of us would have an honest spirit of inquiry. Maybe some of us would say, what does this mean? Maybe some of us would reproach it in a Lectio Divina, a divine reading sort of way. But in verse 13, it says, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They're drunk. That's how we can explain this. Those people in verse 13, they were interpreting the events from their worldview, from their, vine, their minds. They were having a human reading of the work of God, not a divine reading, not a Lectio Divina. Doesn't fit my worldview, so it can't be true. True. Have you ever done that in your life? Do you ever treat God, the creator of the universe, like that? God, that doesn't make sense to me, so it can't be true. Because I've been on this earth 40, 50 years. I know a lot more than you do, God. Can't be true. A human reading. But a divine reading, a Lectio Divina says, could it be? Could it be true? Yeah, is this the account of something strange? Yes, but could it be true? Is it beyond the bounds of our imaginations? Yes, but could it be true? And shouldn't the origin of the church, shouldn't it be anything but miraculous and beyond imagination and fire and the spirit working in a way that we have never seen? My friends, in Acts chapter two, we witness a power beyond this world. It changes timid disciples weak, cowardly disciples to courageous and powerful proclaimers of the works of God, of Jesus Christ. In fact, this mighty event of the Spirit's fire and language, it prepared for the very first Christian sermon to be preached. Peter, in Acts chapter two, he preaches the answer to the questions and the wonder about what's going on with these languages, what's going on with this fire, what's going on with this violent wind. In fact, if you read the rest of Acts chapter two, he preaches twice as many verses as it took to explain what was going on with the fire and the tongues and the spirit. 
He preaches the word. And we see that this miracle of fire and wind and commotion and language, it serves the purpose of giving a platform of grabbing everyone's attention so that Peter could preach. Peter. Peter? Yeah. Peter, the guy who two months before who had denied Jesus. And he's preaching powerfully. That's the way the Spirit works. We go back to the beginning in Genesis. The Holy Spirit breathed life into man. We fast forward to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit breathed life into another man, a once cowardly disciple named Peter, creating him into a new man who preaches boldly with courage and with fire. In 14 to 21, he explains what's going on here. He says, this is a fulfillment of prophecy, guys. God would pour out his spirit. He said he would do it in signs and wonders, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in verses 22 to 36, he starts preaching the gospel of Jesus. He says, you put him to death, but God raised him, and he was exalted to the right hand of God. And right now, he's pouring out his spirit in your midst. And it says there in the text, it says, when they heard it, they were cut. They were cut to the heart because they had killed God's Messiah. My friends, that's a lectio divina. That is a divine reading. How did you feel? They were cut to the heart, and that's what the word of God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does, cuts to our hearts. And we see that very first Christian Pentecost. It wasn't just some human reading of God's working. It was a divine reading. It was a lectio divina. It was an experience of the spirit of God hovering hovering over the beginning of the creation of the biggest unity movement in the history of the world. The Spirit was working at Pentecost in a public way. And that work was all wind and fire. It was commotion and loud talk. It was buzzing confusion. It was public debate. The Spirit was enabling the church to go big and to go public with good news. It was attracting crowds and it was speaking something relevant and worth hearing. A new wind was blowing through. And it points to this in verse 37, Acts chapter 2. After uh, Peter had preached this awesome, huge, powerful sermon, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and to the other apostles, they said, brothers, what shall we do? They went from what does this mean to what shall we do? You gotta love those questions that change our lives and our hearts and our minds. Peter says, I, got, I tell you what to do. Verses 37 to 41, he said, repent and be baptized just like Michaela was this morning for the forgiveness of sins, for the Holy Spirit in your life, for you and for your children, for all who are far off. 3,000 were baptized that day. The Spirit moved and his people were asking good questions. What should we do? What does this mean? A divine reading. And that's where the church started. That's where it started for all of us here this morning. And so I think we are pulled by the Holy Spirit to go back into the text. And we are pulled by the Holy Spirit to ask ourselves some important questions. And not to read it just as human beings. Not just an analysis and an intellectual inquisition, but a divine reading, a lectio divina. And so in your heart, in your mind, maybe just close your eyes right now. What is the Holy Spirit impressing upon you? What do you feel? 
What specific situation is the Holy Spirit speaking into your life? What is the Holy Spirit inviting you to do? I don't know about you, but for me personally, as I read this text, I was, ju- I was drawn to Acts chapter 2, verse 21. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that one word, everyone, everyone, the gospel of Jesus Christ The Holy Spirit, God the Father, is for everyone, young and old, rich and poor, awkward, socially, socially sophisticated, every culture, every ethnicity, every language, every political persuasion, every denomination, everyone. I was so reminded of that this past week. This past week, I went to a... uh, a prayer gathering for pastors in Orange. And Lutherans historically have been kind of like, you know, when you get to heaven, it's like we think we're the only ones that are going to be there, you know. And uh, it was great. I've been part of this group for a while. Pastors in Orange from all sorts of dis- denominations. We gathered together for once a month, and we pray for an hour, and it was awesome. It was so good. The spirit of Pentecost was there, and we prayed for revival. We prayed for revolution. We prayed for reformation in the Christian church. Powerful, a spiritual experience, a Pentecost sort of thing. And I think we're drawn back to the very first Pentecost and that question when they asked, what should we do? Repent? Yes. Believe? Yes. Be baptized? Yes. Receive the Lord's Supper? Yes. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit reminds us this Pentecost Sunday, he says, you are a witness. Even here in Jerusalem, even here at home, even here in this room, even in your family, even in your life group, even amongst the people who are sitting right around you. How important it is for us to proclaim the power of the Holy Spirit into each other's lives, not just even for out there, but even for in here. I was reminded of this this past uh, two weeks ago. I was at a seminar, and I was talking to a lady, and I was sitting at a group, a table that I, I normally wouldn't sit with or talk to, and I and, uh, kind of felt compelled to go over there for some reason, and I started talking to this lady sitting next to me. She's going through a huge trial in her life. She's part of a big parachurch organization with 6,000 people involved in it, and she was going through a big struggle. Felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, listen to her, talk to her, encourage her. And a word from the scriptures came through, and I gave her a word of encouragement. I asked her, can I pray for you? I put my hand on her shoulder. I prayed for her that the Lord would strengthen her and teach her the truth and guide her in the decisions she had, and uh, she was overcome. It reminded me about Pentecost, about the power of the Spirit. If I would have been a cowardly, weak, timid disciple, She would not have experienced the word of God. She wouldn't have had another believer praying for her. She wouldn't have been encouraged by the community of saints the Holy Spirit creates. That's the Holy Spirit saying, don't be cowardly, don't be timid. You've got fire in you. Be willing to take that step. Listen to his call, listen to his leading. Speak into other people's lives and do it over and over again, day after day, year after year. I was talking to a pastor just this past week. He said, I've been, I've been trying to witness to this lady. She's on the corner, she's a crossing guard. I've, I've seen her four and a half years. Been mentioning the faith to her, talking to her. 
This past Good Friday, he said, you know what? He said, it's Good Friday. It'd be a good day to trust in the Lord Jesus. She said, okay, whatever. Later that day, she sat down in her chair, and she asked the Holy Spirit to come into her life and heart, and she experienced Jesus and the Spirit in a new way, and she came to faith after four and a half years of this pastor reaching out to her. I think the Spirit's reminding us that when we let the living Word of God, when we let the living Word of God invade our lives, it can be like that very first Christian Pentecost. It can be wind and fire, loud and buzzing commotion, public and relative, inclusive and unifying, yet filled with controversy as we get into the thick of people's lives where it's messy and confusing and loud. We have an opportunity to bring wind and fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Pentecost. So my prayer for myself and for all of you is that we would lean, lean into the power of the Holy Spirit this week. Let God's word ask questions of our entire being, engage in a divine reading, a Lectio Divina, not just a human reading. And so my friends, let the Spirit speak to you, and by the Spirit, speak to someone else, and speak in a way that brings fire and life. And trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words. You are his witnesses.